Uh, talk again. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Check, check, check one, check two. Chicken, chicken, chicken. Bark, 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 bark. <laughs> when their souls got to the entrance to heaven, the gods asked them two questions. I I rented a whole bunch of gear today for the Fun Palace. Oh yeah, I saw your photo. Yeah. Um, but I. And so I spent a bunch of time thinking that I could just, and I should be able to just easily like send stuff from the soundboard into the computer. Yeah. And then have like all of the mics, and then I was gonna, you know, make jokes and get you to tell which one I sounded best on. Okay. Uh, but no, but it's it's doesn't it's not working. <laughs> Their answers determined whether they were admitted or not. Now let's see. You just sent me a text message or email. An email message. Um, oh yeah, it's theater dead. <laughs> oh, it was so. I didn't even listen, but I had to turn Twitter off because it was annoying me. Somebody, I was at a because um, it was R. H. Thompson, right? Yeah, and Brendan Healy. Brendan Healy. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of glad I missed this because, um, I mean, I think can we at least agree that theater is a marginalized art form like it's it's a marginal art form in our current society sure where we live like it's yep. not i wouldn't say it's mainstream i think that's fair <laughs> but does that make it dead no well it's there's so many flawed parts of that like one it was ontario today is a terrible, terrible radio show that makes me sprint to turn off my radio. So I was even like, I was like, oh, don't give these people, don't give this show the credit of it's, you know, it hasn't, hasn't asked smart questions before. So. Oh, it's a terrible, why is live theater dead to you? Yeah. That is the question. Yeah, That's that was the, the question. Like, the opening gambit. Do you want to call in today with your, with your answers to why is like, I'm Why just... is radio at, on CBC between 11.30 and 6 unbearable? What's <laughs> the local stuff? It's the yeah. local. Yeah. I've, I, you know, I've never been a big Radio 2 listener, but now I am. Oh, yeah? Because uh, there's less talk. The other uh, Ontario Today episode, I guess, that was really rock star was, <laughs> it was called the bucket list <laughs> and they spent about five minutes really like synopsizing is that the word like giving going through the movie like explaining what a bucket list was including clips from the movie starring morgan freeman and jack nicholson i couldn't i couldn't believe it like i couldn't believe that some i was hoping it was an intern but probably some staffer okay Light. lifted clips out of that and then and then was like filling in the blanks it just i couldn't believe it and then the question was like what do you want to do before you die basically oh hear good local programming on cbc um <laughs> that's yeah. what i want to do um well, yeah so do you agree or disagree is theater dead to you well clearly not I mean, it's hard because it gets all this up, like all of the theater people are like, oh, blah, 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 blah. now we want a radio show that 
has intelligent conversation about theater. It's like, well, that's. Uh, but it also like it's because it's such a stupid question. It's hard to have, you know. I a lot of theater I go to is not so good, or I'm not very excited by it. Mm -hmm. let's, let's say it that way. Uh, so you know, I'm willing to take some. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I, there's there is good reasons to question whether. You know, are the strategies being used by theaters working out for anybody? That's a valid question. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I think that it will come as no surprise to you, and perhaps we've already talked about this, that, you know, my preference when I go and see theater is theater that doesn't occur in theaters. Right. You know, it's not really my preference of places to go and see theater. Although I have to t tell you now that I haven't seen theater in over a year. I haven't seen very much because I've been at home. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, now I actually am starting to feel really hungry to see shows again. So that's that's, that's interesting. Sign. But I do remember seeing, and perhaps you also saw this, this production at SFU. It was one of those after the fringe slots. And it was some company who I remember, but I won't mention the name of, who were doing a two-person version of Dr. Faustus. Did you see that? Um. It was a guy who was talking like this. And then a woman who was in like a bodysuit and she was the devil. And <laughs> Maybe. It, it's ringing some horrible repressed bells, but... Yeah, I'm sorry to make you feel uncomfortable by taking you back to that place. But I remember being so angry after seeing that show because I thought like, I could barely keep awake in it. And that's usually a pretty good indicator that nothing's going on on stage. But I thought this is exactly why people don't like theater. Because they've been forced at some point or another to go see something because they're taking an English class. And then it, the kind of theater that it is, is, is dead. That particular, that, that production of Dr. Faustus was dead. Was you dead know, because you. it felt like it was more about, here's, okay, here's the thing. It felt like it was more about the egos of the artists doing this expression of something that they wanted to do, but it was not, certainly not about any kind of interchange with the audience. Bang. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, and that's, I, I see that a lot of places, and even in sort of good shows, I think the, or hear people say like, oh, I want to make, I want to make this show because I really want to express something. And that has never been my impulse to mm -hmm. make shows. And it's certainly never been my impulse to watch shows. Like, oh, I want to go see what Jim wants to express today. <laughs> That's what Twitter's for. <laughs> yeah, it's at most what Twitter's for. And if I'm a friend with Jim, then I'll talk to him. But, but there are, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'll let you finish. No, and so it, the so the ways in which... You know, I think there are can be total like that question of how do we deal with audience and how do we uh, think about 
the people who are coming? Those are very good questions to be asking. And I think a lot of shows, I guess, I mean, I, I, probably everybody, I always get, I feel like in these discussions, I also have that voice in my head that goes like, oh, nobody means to be making bad theater. No. Uh, and, and so, but, but the other part of my brain says, uh, something needs to be like, there needs to be some notice for like, oh, this thing keeps happening. Like if we keep accidentally making bad theater. Yeah. Without much, or I don't know, enough moments of, of goodness that I don't see this is it's all downhill once you start well think about it this way a photographer right they say you're lucky if you get one out of ten shots is good right mm -hmm. so the problem I would say is that you're we're working in an art form that is hugely expensive because we're trading in the most expensive things we're trading in time mm -hmm. human time and space actual real estate um and we actually don't have a so i think the ratio still stands one out of ten even even though there's lots of things have been called out because of the economics of it then the actual like uh and I don't want to say good or bad or whatever, but theater that is actually alive, that's truly asking a question, that's truly connecting with an audience and not like, is this relevant and connected to your life? But that energetic connection that happens, uh, I'd say it's probably one out of 10 still. But the photographer, that be... mm -hmm. that's, that's the rehearsal process. Like that's one out of 10 of my directing choices. I think it's one out of ten across the board. Like, yes, one out of ten of your of the scripts, one out of ten of the re the rehearsal process, the the choices. But but the thing is that you rarely see, really rarely see, and maybe we should see more of it. Are people who go, you know what? We're in third week. Is really not going to fly. Let's just let's just not do this. It was. I was in a when the Canada Council was doing their like going around talking to companies about the changes to the operating funding. Mm -hmm. uh, that came up from a company who I don't think does it, but it was interesting. It was so one of the, the changes that seemed threatening to a few of the non-venued companies there was the idea that you would have to make two shows every three years. Yeah. Something there was some, there was a, there was a, a production a number of productions per year mm -hmm. added into it, which I think is largely valid as long as there's a pretty open definition. Mm -hmm. But I think the issue of companies just touring old work forever and getting the same amount of money and not creating was what they were trying to address. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so somebody brought up like, what if we want to pull the plug on shows? Uh, which again, like I think was a, was a slight red herring in the room, but I was like, Oh, that's great. I would love it if companies more regularly, I mean, I say that and then I, you know, I worked on 
Antigone Dead People, which was a show that Soul Pepper pulled the plug on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was very happy to do it and work with Evan on what I thought was a great project. And I thought it was, you know, hey, those are those are stories that aren't quite mine to tell. I, I picked that story up later. Uh, but but yeah, I think it's very rare that people say like, oh, I guess guess this isn't working out. Yeah. Uh, let's save the marketing budget and the embarrassment. Yeah, I. It's um, it's just so un. It's so I feel like it's unforgiving. The economics are pretty unforgiving. Yeah. Um. Which I guess is why I look to smaller formats to make it more agile. Or um, so, are there any mid to large scale companies that are rocking it that you know of? Uh, I think. I mean, I think Buddies is doing a thing and doing it very well. It's not always my thing, but. But I think they're they're doing it, uh, and I think that's reflecting fairly well in support. I don't I don't see their books. Uh, other mid sized. I mean, I think people are. I think. I mean, I'm curious. It feels like Canadian stage has found the balance, found a better balance, or is getting like London Road is doing very well, Venus and Furs did very well. And and with strong strong performances and directors. And and the theater center is super exciting to me. It I I mean I think that's it's a bit more of an infrastructure company than a producing company. Mm-hmm. But as an infrastructure company, I think getting getting to where they have with that new building and, and then, of course, what happens with it will be a whole new adventure. But they've done a pretty great. That's been that's an exciting thing that's happening here. And then I get every time I go to Vancouver, I get really jealous of all the companies in and around progress lab and i always include replacement in that and i know they shouldn't be but i always see them there so <laughs> they get in, <laughs> they get included for me um yeah i mean i'm sure there is struggle and stuff <laughs> uh but and and maybe i'm just seeing them on their best week like, well i mean it's certainly, I won't lie to you, it certainly was a great place to work and to be a part of that. Um, but it took eight years, right? Yeah. From, at least for New World, it was eight years looking for that kind of company partnerships and mm. and a space. And, and we didn't end up in the same partnerships as we had started out with. Right. So... Uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of an exercise in um, positive, positive thinking, or you know, the what is it, the rule, or whatever the that secret, the secret. Sorry, <laughs> you just started acting like you had a space, and then something. 
Yeah, exactly. We started, we had to kind of think like, this is going to happen. And then, because there's so many reasons why it won't happen. And then it was timing because of the whole economic action plan and all that stuff in 2008. Like it just all helped to suddenly there was, you know, it's that thing that you can't really predict too much. Those were the days. The heady days. What, how much in that discussion did shared aesthetics or not get talked about in building those partnerships? Shared aesthetics, like what the kitchen looks like or artistic no, what aesthetics? The... <laughs> uh, maybe both, but I was thinking about uh, artistic. What we talked about were what we needed the spaces to do. So I think that one of the reasons that the partnership was successful is that we didn't, um, we, and it was kind of a lesson from Hive too, is that the, the infrastructure provides the containers and then allowing the artists to fill that container however they want within the parameters that are set. So, you know, when we talked about what is our dream space or really blue skying it, uh, Kim would talk about the size of the room and and uh, Jay would talk about the height of the room, and New World would talk about. And could we have like a small room too? <laughs> we would like to have a little small room. <laughs> <laughs> Our first time in the studio, which is like a forty by forty, I think, is the room. Our first time in the studio was when uh, Marcus and Kamir and Guillermo were working on the second Ali and Ali. And we actually built a little tent structure in the corner of the room because the room was just too big for the three those three guys like they couldn't it was just too big so we had to like shrink the room down to make it workable for them and now there's that cute little cubby room yes the rumpus room as we used to call it although who knows that might change so so we talked about like the functionality of the spaces and um i think if we were to i think if anything that i've learned through the process just talking to people and you know looking at how people design workspaces. Um, I would build more of those little rumpus rooms, more meeting rooms. Right. Because uh, nobody's office is big enough to have a meeting in it and allow people to continue working. Right. So you actually need to be able to relocate into a more private space. So right now there's only one room like that. We had a dream of, of building something on the roof where you could go up a ladder and then there'd be something up there. But that probably will never happen. And um, yeah, so we, but we never really talked about aesthetic aside from the companies being mostly um, creation based with the exception of Rumble. Right. Uh, although there's a history of, of that. Um, but I think it really made sense. The companies that ended up in there because they were the indie companies that had operating. That's right. really what it came down to. I feel like every every time I go to push off and and see that space, there's always this Toronto wave of envy that kicks in. Well, that's good because <laughs> it usually goes the other way, doesn't it? I, I don't know. Okay, I'll bite. And and then I think about the aesthetics because I think of and I guess with Hub 14, which was the same thing on a much smaller scale. 
which was the have you been to 14 no not yet so uh it's a small studio that amy henderson megan o'shea jen johnson and sally morgan who were three dancers and choreographers wanted to have a rehearsal space for themselves basically Mm -hmm. and i knew amy and was working on it and so was a little bit involved in trying to find spaces and then did some demo work to build the space because they found you know somebody's studio apartment that they could knock down walls in Mm -hmm. but is really like 20 by 20 like it's much smaller and much shorter yeah and and we intentionally didn't and then sally left and i joined as a sort of core member and we very intentionally didn't necessarily share aesthetics like we didn't we were trying to avoid any sort of programming that would require us to agree on aesthetics so we could have this container i mean i think i guess when and what were the discussions around because progress lab is mostly not a performance space it's not it's not a it's not a performance space i mean that was one of the we threw around the idea of it becoming a performance space there's zoning reasons why it's it's not zoned for public assembly even though there is public assembly there um (laughs) and um but also i think that there was a real desire within the group to um well and there was and i shouldn't say that like it was uh consensus because i think that there were differing opinions but there was some desire in the group to keep it as a a development space because that's so unique and so the public events that are held there are like push-offs they're showcase events or they are um or they're parties (laughs) fundraising parties that sort of thing but I think oh, it, and the obstructions yeah, were there. Right. Obstructions were held there. So that's kind of the breaking the rule of the performance. There's been lots of right. But I feel like they they end up being, or what I hear, a, a, a distinction in like I guess when you share a space with other companies that is about performance, then the audience begins to understand that space as having an aesthetic. And, yeah. and yeah. for, you know, or maybe, and maybe I'm, I'm tilting at, at windmills, but to like that, that if, if it's a performance space and my show's in the space and somebody else's show is in the space, then I don't want, I don't want to have that production of Dr. Faustus in the space before me. Right. You don't want to get contaminated. I don't want to get contaminated with, with that piece. Which I, because I think that's hard these days where we're in rental houses all the time, mm-hmm. where every theater is just a rental house. I don't know anybody in Toronto who's turning away productions. Right. And I think there is a bit of a, a problem in that, in terms of audience, is that I don't know where to go. Like, I don't know if I'm going to go to that everything that dance makers is that everything that's at the center for creation is like a dance maker show, whatever I think of dance maker shows. Right. It's not so there's true. no sense of curation. Or... There's no sense of curation in the space. And so it becomes harder and harder to 
build around a space, a community, mm-hmm. because the the audience community, all it takes is you know one or maybe two shows that are off off message or off programming before people begin to go like oh well i thought i could go see everything at yeah x theater i'm still being very good about not naming names (laughs) i was thinking about that the other day because some there was an article floating around from uh howl round do you know that website about uh american theaters but how infrastructure infrastructure to theaters were somehow killing theater and i i am paraphrasing this poorly but so i was thinking about like the size of the theaters and i was thinking about audience and dwindling numbers and da 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 and i was thinking about um tricycle theater in london and the 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 way that that company and that space is conceived of more as a community center than as a theater so while there are theater shows at night during the day there's also a coffee shop in the lobby and on when theater's dark there's movies that they're played and there's events and activities throughout the whole day so that you it becomes a place that you go and that you buy into as a member whether or not i don't i I'm sure they don't have a membership, but you you know what I mean, like a member of a community. Yep. And I was thinking, oh, well, that there's something to that, right? There's something to the spaces that are, have somehow become um, sanctified, that they're only enterable by the general public at certain times, at, on certain occasions, and uh, and that there's something... So how do we make our work more relevant to the people that we live side by side with? I think it has to do with opening the space and actually uh, embedding, like in creating invitation, making making opportunity to engage. Um, and it and it could begin with the space. It could be part of that. I, I think that I think that people. I think. I mean, we work such crazy, ridiculous hours and in crazy, ridiculous ways that the the artists uh, become quite siloed from or the ordinary world, the day to day world of most people. And so, uh, yeah, I think it it's like when you feel like nobody is sending you any email or letters or phoning you or anything. And then you think, well, have I sent anyone an email? <laughs> yeah. Have I phoned any of my friends? Like, the reason they're not coming is because maybe we're not inviting them to the party. Yep. Well, I think that that backstage lounge has made a huge difference to the arts club. You know, the, the reve- just the revenue, as a revenue stream, has made a huge impact on that company. And But do you think... Do you think the people who are there who aren't going to see a show, like who aren't doing a a one-two or after, I mean, are they, do they know that they're in a theater bar and do they care and do they need to care? I don't think, some of them may not know. Some of, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think that they need to know. Right. 
I think that if there, if you were to always have like little things that, you know, you pick up a card or a matchbook, although nobody does that anymore, but that has something on it that identifies where you are, or where you could be if you just walked through those doors. I think that there, there's something, those are the small invitations. Right. But otherwise, they're supporting the company just by having that second beer. When their souls got to the entrance to heaven. Running a building versus running a theater company. Yeah, it's different. It's different, yeah. The gods asked them two questions. The comments on HowlRound aren't terrible. No, because I think that it's it's pretty... Um, I think it, yeah. I think that it's still a small enough community that yeah. people kind of know each other. <laughs> so well, and I think there's a, some pressure to use your name and stuff yeah, like that. and it's kind of it's a little more academic too, I think. And it's also interesting. I I had a funny. I emailed them because they, in your RSS feed, they only send the excerpt in the mm. feed. Mm-hmm which I find deeply annoying because I want to read it all in my feed thing yeah. in my, in my reader. Uh, and they said, we, we, we've done that because when we didn't, we got less comments. Like we got potentially more readership, but if people aren't reading on the website, they're unlikely to comment. Because if I'm reading it on my phone in, yeah, you know, in, in well, that dig, makes sense. It does. It, I I was like, okay, that's valid. Annoying, but it like it now just means I have to click to that and then, yeah, send it to Insta Paper. Another click. Another click. Calm down. <laughs> Less clicks. Less clicking, please. All around. All around. Their answers determined whether they were admitted or not. What else? You went to Quebec. Yeah, talk about theater. <laughs> Carnival, have you ever been there? I have not. They have this, uh, they have a theme song. I won't sing it for you, but it okay. is in my head because it plays repeatedly. It was super fun. The nice thing about, I love those huge, um, celebratory events i to me they are theater um they're they're theater more theater of the people than anything that we make and um there's uh there was human foosball giant human foosball i saw a picture i think you put how did it work though well there wasn't you know how you can spin the foosball players you yeah. couldn't do that it was mostly the side to side action <laughs> right but were were they strapped how were yeah. the how yeah. were the humans strapped in? They had belts. They were strapped in with belts onto these sticks, the foosball sticks, yeah. the horizontal sticks. And then those um, kind of slid back and forth. So there's a, a stick and then there's kind of a casing that had the the um, seat belts on them. And so you tie yourself onto this thing so it would slide back and forth. So you could do the side-to-side action. And then whoever was also on the same stick as you had to move side-to-side as well. Um, and then uh, special T-shirts to indicate which shirt, which company, right. or um, which company you were with. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and uh, I did see one guy do a full kind of like 
upside down thing, but I think he was doing that on purpose and it was more right. at night when things were getting more raucous. Um, <laughs> a drunk human foosball is extra. Yeah. But lots of like, just, you know, fun little things, little characters around in the family area. There was all these characters animating the space. I don't know how effective they were because it's just really big. Right. It's just really big. Um, and then what else did I, I, there was something. Oh, and then we met Bonhomme. Oh yeah. Who is a talking, he talks. Did you know that? No, but I don't, I don't think I had thought a lot about whether or not he talked. Well, most mascots don't talk, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. So he talks. Bonjour tout le monde. Il y a beaucoup de choses à faire à Carnival. Bonjour, les enfants. Nice. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, and I and um, I had kind of a a brief thought of of having a night to go to some Quebec City theater, but that just didn't happen. You were there for Carnival. I was there for Carnival, and I was there for family and that sort of thing. Yeah. Their answers determined whether they were admitted or not. Well, I think it's, I mean, you know how they tell you if you want to tour a show, you should think about touring when you start thinking about the show? I think we should also be thinking about who is this show for at the beginning. You know, just going back to the first conversation yeah, yeah. we had. Who am I making this show for? Who would be interested? Aside from me. Right. And And what do you think the... Because I hear that in, 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 in the arguments of like um, that that's that the artistic integrity is then weakened because <sighs> sure sure um, but if we are speaking, do we not want someone to listen? And even in day-to-day -day life, I find that I need to adjust my language or my delivery or my timing to capture the attention of the person to whom I'm trying to get my message across to. This is like, this is communication. These are communication skills. Our, our art form is about communication. So, I, I mean, in the back of my head, while I say these things, there are examples. I know of artists, I know artists who don't really worry about that stuff. And they just do it. And they just kind of keep working on things and keep putting them out. And and some of them, it kind of doesn't go anywhere. And some of them are like amazing and brilliant. And, and certainly I find things that resonate with me. So whether it's happening on a conscious level or thematic level or intellectual level, or if it's happening on an energetic level, I think about the work that Sufay does with Battery Opera. I'm sure Sufay isn't thinking like, oh, I wonder who's going to like this show. In fact, I feel very certain she's not doing that. But I know that she is conscious of the stage as a sacred space, as a transcendent space, as an energetic space, 
and that and of the energetic relationship between the the observer and the doer. So, yes, artistic. I I would just argue that since our art form is about communication, is the art form not is artistic integrity not being undermined by not thinking about how you're communicating or transmitting your message to your audience. This first step being, who the hell are you talking to? Ruff. Yes. I am mostly in agreement, or I am, I'm entirely in agreement with all of that. I I think I get, like, the things of, of that it's a form about communication. I mean, I think all, all utterances are about communication and and so theater isn't uniquely about communication and i also want and i think it's super important that there's a space for research and in that's different right that the that you know the the old trope of if if a physicist if at, you know if the if the string theory people at banff had to explain everything to me and entertain me while they were communicating to each other they would get a lot less work done because they would be spending a bunch of time not speaking in the magic and totally abstract and unknowable to me language that they speak and so i'm i'm just i'm always aware you know and i work with people who i think come at you know the research-based the practice-based research or research-based practice or whichever way it goes, mm-hmm. which I think still has, you know, I still have questions and, and I'm often, I feel like in those rooms being someone who sympathizes greatly with the research and then also with the audience who's going to come, who may not be as, as prepared and that's the weird thing in in theater i think even especially is that there's not a clear distinction between what somebody who's working in the research areas are doing and what uh canadian stage is doing or the mervishes are doing like it's the same language we are approaching the same critics we're looking for the same space in the media, whatever media it is. And that seems, that seems a little crazy to me that there's that, that distinction that we can't make that distinction between like, Oh, this is one kind of thing. And this is another kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they're both theater, but you know, they're, they're also so different as to almost be, but then, you know, and then I, I instantly am like, oh, but I don't, I don't, I hate the like, this is physical theater, this is experimental, mm-hmm. like that sort of those labelings. I don't find any more useful, but, but I am aware that it's it's either through the funding system or in the public that there's a disconnect because there's work that has to appeal in the same way, despite having very different goals mm-hmm. uh, and and different relationships to those goals but i i do i think the question of who 
who might be interested in the thing I'm doing and how do I best connect with those people and then maybe some adjacent people some you know some the next mm-hmm. the next possible group but is is a is an important thing to think about and uh, but again I think if if we did a poll and said are you thinking about those things everybody would say yes and yet we seem to both have a bit of a feeling that that's not true. Well. I mean, other than Soufé, and I think Soufé would absolutely talk about, she thinks about impact on audience. I mean, like her. She well, we should it. ask her. We yeah. should ask her because I think um, she'd be an interesting person to talk to. Because I had once had a, it's kind of a misunderstanding conversation, but I was talking about accessibility. Like, uh, accessibility for the I think it was Hive Three. We had we wanted to make the the space and and the show is more accessible to people with different physical things going on. So we had a signer and we had uh, audio description and we had you know we wanted to make sure that there was it was physically accessible and that sort of thing. So I was talking to her about that and and it took me a while in the conversation because she seemed so against the idea. And it took me a while to understand that that um, this was a conference. She was having a conversation that I think I suspect she's had many, many times about her work being inaccessible to audiences, like intellectually or aesthetically. Um, and I was talking just about like people being able to get in the room, <laughs> in the room. So we were, had different definitions of the same word. Um, so she would be a great person to talk to about that because I have a feeling with her and David that like they don't give a fuck like literally well I think they give they give a lot of they give, they give a lot of fuck about audience experience like they care yeah. a lot about what's happening to us in that my experience of their work is that I feel cared for cared for and and that the choices they're making are super intentional but I don't think that they would change an idea because it scared somebody or was too smart or no. too dangerous or something like that or because um, there is no market for it, quote-unquote market. I think that – I think of the of the artists I know who are practicing right now, um, they are some of the people who I think I feel like are really most, most deeply engaged with their practice in – in a way that um, uh, where the audience in some ways needs to come to them as opposed to a lot of, you know, the, w- the way that I'm talking about it philosophically is kind of more of a, a capitalist model, I guess, where you're thinking about the product and you're thinking about who's going to buy the product around at around the same time. Right. So maybe we should invite Sufei to come talk to us. We should. Are we ready to have guests? Oh, I don't know. Um, Do we need to clean up the house? Have you found joy in your life? Uh, Answer the question. 